Cleared to the Juice. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult teams, as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. This week, that would be through chapter 19. 19. 19. This is Cross. Hey, and I'm PJ. <laughs> and we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. Can you go back into that voice and say explicit one more time? Explicit? <laughs> you said explicit. Really explicit? <laughs> we are an explicit podcast. <laughs> I, know, I don't even know. As I don't know that I've talked about this a lot, but I am terrible at impressions but i can get like locked into a voice temporarily and like be very good at it i feel like imitating i feel like where this skill was honed quite a bit was something that we haven't done in a couple years but our family's christmas eve tradition of prank calling each other Ah, that went on for a long time it did it did until we were no longer at home (laughs) pretty much Mm mm-hmm even then, yep. it, it did fair point on the side of the uh, the voices, but yeah, no, no, boy, no, um, not not even like going for anything. Like, there's no, I don't even know. There's no real accent to it. No, it's just strange it's because I'm vaguely Scandinavian. Strange. Is it? Is it though? <laughs> like, no, yeah. Um, anyway, with that, we're going to move into this week's reading. Today is our fifth episode discussing Mistborn, The Final Empire by Brandon Sanderson, or Branderson, as we have affectionately titled him previously. And we are going to chat about chapters 14 through 19. But first, let's talk about what we're drinking. PJ, what are you having? I was very tired this morning and didn't mm-hmm. know what to make. So I called Crossland, and he has this fancy app that can tell you, like, hey, I'm feeling like this, and sweet, drink this. And it did a terrible job of, like, coming up with any sort of drink that made sense for what we put into it. I was thinking something sweeter, something with whiskey. I have blackberry simple syrup made up, so something with berries would be good. Came up with bullshit. But what it did come up with was one really good one, uh, Rattlesnake, which is essentially a rye sour with an absinthe rinse. So two ounces of rye, one ounce of simple syrup. Ah, no, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup. Three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice, an egg white, all shaken, the glasses rinsed with absinthe. And then the whole thing is garnished. I mean, it it is exactly what it sounds like. So just a little splash of absinthe added to a glass, swirl it around, rinse the glass out so there's a coating of absinthe and dump out the excess, and then pour the cocktail into that. So it gets the aromatics and a very faint sort of star anise or black licorice flavor that comes through in the background, but it's not super. Absinthe is a very, very strong flavor, and you can pick it up like that. So having just the coating of your glass with it makes for a really nice way of adding that aromatic flavor without really changing the cocktail very much. So then garnished it with a lemon wedge and realize 
that I was thirsty and we were recording a podcast, so I doubled that entire recipe. So <laughs> four ounces of rye, oh, an ounce and a half of lemon juice, an ounce and a half of simple, still one egg white, and still just one rinse of absinthe. I didn't rinse my glass twice. So yeah, it's it's great. It it is a whiskey sour with that aromatic punch and I'm really happy with it. Following that up is kind of a weird one. Instead of a beer, I'm doing a cider. Milk and honey ciders. I feel like we've talked about them once before on the podcast. They Mm -hmm. recently were named USA Today's Cider of the Year. If that means fuck all, I have no idea. It probably doesn't (laughs) actually mean a whole lot within the cider community, but I don't know the cider community like I do beer. But anyway, it is local out of St. Joseph, Minnesota, very, very close to where I live. And it is, the one I've got is called Deep Cuts. It is a chaga chai cider. So it is a cider with chaga, chicory, dandelion, burdock, and licorice root, along with a blend of aromatic spices. So excited to sip on this. It's definitely not sweet. It's much more herbal as... (laughs) ran through that list of what was added to it. it a lot of herb and sort of a uh, deep, deep aromatic flavors. So it's great. I liked it, but different, very, very different. I, we had a four pack of it and my girlfriend's family lives in Northern Wisconsin and they've got a bunch of chaga that like grows up there. So they just collect it off their property and make tea all the time. So I'm like, sweet, I'll bring that, see what they think of it. And they all hated it. So (laughs) I came home with some and I'm drinking it here. I didn't mind it. I think it'd be better with a little bit of like citrus or a little bit more sweetness. But honestly, I all the same, I'm excited to to drink it, especially right after the sour, which is going to kind of blow me out with some sweetness. So, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole rant I went on. Crossland, what are you drinking? <laughs> I mean, hey, as long as it's as long as it's good, you know, there's no no question there. So it sounds really interesting though. I, I often drink a chaga tea for relaxation. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, nice. I am having a cocktail that I made a couple of days ago for a live stream event over for Hill Reaper called the Strawberry Sovereign. Really, it's just kind of a twist on a bourbon sour. Biggest change from a bourbon sour is you take and mash strawberries as opposed to just like adding and shaking smaller berries because those will like naturally kind of emulsify and, and break up. Emulsify is not the right word. But effectively what it is, two ounces of bourbon, one ounce lemon juice, one ounce simple Egg white added in, strawberries added, mash all together, then shaken, dry shaken, of course. And then uh, cutting up a couple more of the strawberries, you just drop that inside of the sour once you've poured it into a glass. So, yeah, that's something I didn't mention, but maybe you, since you did mention it, you can give a little, little chat on it. What is dry shaking and why do you? Why did you choose to do so? Dry shaking is, from my understanding, this is actually something that I've learned relatively recently because I had to for this. Uh, But dry shaking is when you shake something without ice, right? Correct. Without adding ice. The reason is generally that you don't want to change the temperature of the ingredients, right? Until presentation. Especially Uh, with egg. Isn't that like a whole thing? Yes. So specifically, I've only ever done it with egg. 
I'm sure there are situations where you do it otherwise, but I've always done it whenever an egg white is added in order to use the term before, but not quite properly. And you corrected yourself, but emulsify. So you emulsify the egg white into the drink before you add ice and shake again to chill it. But it, it allows for the egg white to really incorporate into the cocktail without kind of, I don't, I don't know what happens. Like it just doesn't froth like it does mm-hmm. when you dry shake it. If you go straight to ice shaking, if that makes sense. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know that's the reason I haven't dug super deep into the science behind it, but I think I'll probably do that now that I'm the one that brought this up and put you on the spot. So, yeah, but that's why it, it emulsifies the egg white into the cocktail before adding ice. Yes. Yeah. So I think I think the reason why you dry shake egg white in particular is because of the temperature, because you yes. don't want it to. Yeah, right. Eggs are really fucking phone, temperamental, so. man. Yeah, really finicky. They make some of the craziest, <laughs> delicious shit, though, too. So, like, I get it. Mm-hmm. We stand eggs here. Yep. Anyway, the drink is delicious. It's it's great. I actually made a small error this time. I didn't mash the... So I made it, obviously, for the live stream. But then I didn't actually mash the strawberries in, in the shaker this time. And I just had them, like, cut up. And then I, I realized that I hadn't mashed them. So I just sh- shook more aggressively to try to get that same thing obviously it didn't quite work so the drink right now looks a little anemic <laughs> it generally <laughs> looks a little bit more pinky and and like red and it looks really great but this this looks fairly anemic but it tastes good and that's really all that matters in this case i'll just post the picture of the other one that's kind of what i concluded after i stared at it for a bit so yeah i'm following that up with the same ipa i think that i had last week a voice in the midst which i believe is brewed with the intensive being kind of a riff at dune from new anthem brewing so nice mists is also relevant but i i'm sure we made yes, that joke right. last time i did um, make that joke last time i also edited that episode like a couple of days ago so i wasn't gonna do it again <laughs> so you mentioned last week let's uh, let's go ahead and say that i don't remember most of what happened in last episode because that was actually like three weeks ago for us <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's important to note that we are finally back on kind of a semi-regular recording schedule as opposed to the kind of holiday front loading that we did to, you know, kind of ensure our regular releases. So we're back mm-hmm. on schedule What that means new question of the week means, you know, the predictions will kind of flow a little bit more normally than they have so far back on track, back on the normal schedule. So we are recording this basically the same week that you're hearing it and or the weekend beforehand. So mm-hmm. that, yeah, that's pretty much the game plan. So with that, Let's get into the episode. We start with chapter 14. Kicking off this week, we're back with Kelsier and Vin atop a roof overlooking Kretik Shaw. They share a quick exchange and briefly run through what Kelsier plans on doing. Get in the room that he was attempting to enter three years ago when he was caught by the Lord Ruler. This is kind of a room within a room in Kretik Shaw, which is interesting, or a building within a building. What would you think? I mean, this is no big deal. Just casually... Gonna break into the giant spiky fortress. Yep. Yeah. But Casually. I I really appreciated the way that they described this and the reasoning behind it, in that this is effectively unplanned as a means of trying to make sure nobody can spoil the the secret ahead of time. And there's no way for the the word to get out for the Lord Ruler. And I mean, you know, I don't think that helped. 
It's as though they somehow also predicted that he was going to do that, right? So there's right. there's that layer on top of it, or, you know, as though it would have been some kind of bait. And we know from the previous episode that there's only 20 Inquisitors. And so mm-hmm. we we know that three of them were here, as we'll we'll learn and talk about in a little bit. So that that's interesting. It lends some interesting perspective and, and maybe some questions about what exactly is going on here, since he couldn't have been ratted on anyone, but it, it kind of feels like he was ratted on by someone. <laughs> yeah, something to that effect. So the ro- Lord Ruler also has this sort of massive soothing effect on the populace that Vin describes as a depression that feels like it's kind of pressing down on her. Certainly, I think it's a little note here that we don't want to skip over. If he can do something like that, what other things do you think he can do? So this is a really interesting question for me. And mostly... I'm curious if this is an active power, like he is actively doing this, or if it's something more passive on the Lord Ruler himself, or if it's something somehow imbued onto Critic Shaw or the region or the city or whatever it is. It seems like if it's so pressing and so constant that it is probably something passive. And I'm I'm of the opinion that this is a part of Critic Shaw, not a part of the Lord Ruler. Okay. I've decided to mark that a prediction. So that will be Deal. one that we track going forward, just because I think that that is kind of a good a good little I mean it's a it's a good question of like what are the extent kind of of the Lord Ruler's capabilities and, and you're saying it's not necessarily the Lord Ruler, but could be Critic Shaw, could be something that he imparted, maybe, you know, I think there's I think it originates from the Lord Ruler. Sure. I just don't think it's something that he's actively maintaining, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. They turn on the copper to hide and kind of smother the the emotional affect and, and immediately Vin kind of perks up. With that, they actually jump with expediency into the tower and begin working their way down to their location. But they, like, start killing people immediately. There's just a ton of death. Vin kills like four people with coins. She catches them in her bloody hand and Kelsier dispatches screaming men in the darkness, consoling her at the same time. What do you think of the little raid part that we, we experience here with, with haze killers that are just kind of easily destroyed? I mean, things got out of hand very quickly. (laughs) Yeah, fairly quickly for sure. But I guess what I'm going to focus on a little bit is Vin and her internal sort of thought process here. And it it really seemed to give us a great amount of insight into her, at least at this moment. She she mentions that Reen was always the one to kill people. So this is kind of a new experience for her. But... It seems like things are happening so quickly that it's hard for her to truly dwell on it. So that tells me that she has sort of a little bit more mental fortitude than what you might expect for somebody that's so, what would you call her, skittish, I guess. I I would expect her to really kind of freeze up in this moment, but she really has the fortitude to just kind of stay in the moment. So that was kind of cool to see. Yeah, and and she, I mean, they don't have, to their point, they, like, don't have a whole lot of time to kind of dwell on it, and she understands what's happening. It's just, it's something that she noticed 
she notices for the first time, like you said, you know, Reen being the one that was always kind of in charge of, of killing people for the pair of them. You know, this is a truly new experience for, for Ven all around. Oof. I mean, <clears throat> and again, we'll probably deal with this trauma a little bit more later, but you know, for the time being, this is all about, okay, get to the next thing. We are nowhere where we need to be. We've set off alarms. We gotta, we gotta hurry. As we enter Cretic Shaw and we really kind of get into the depths here, we, Find in a room six murals adorning the wall, including a well of light, a large mountain, and a swarm of black mist, perhaps. It's not really described, but it feels apparent that it's kind of pointing to the deepness in some capacity. But before Kelsier and Vin walk into the structure within a structure, they're ambushed by three steel inquisitors. What ensues as Kelsier shouts run is Vin attempting to evade an inquisitor, and it's almost like he's kind of playing with his food what do you think of the attempt here to evade the inquisitor so i can't remember off the top of my head but at one point kelsier mentions that all the inquisitors are soothers no Is that- they are the bronze bronzes the the uh, trackers the uh, right well that's bull like <laughs> seekers Seekers, Seekers, that's the one. So I don't know if this is new information for them. I I, I feel like there was a comment somewhere along the lines of Kelsier mentioning that this was something to unpack later when Mm -hmm. the Inquisitor used, what's the, what's the ninth or 10th or whatever, the higher metal? ATM? ATM, yeah. Right? Uh, That feels right. I, I know think, that he does use ATM, but I, I don't think remember if that's... Kelsier mentions that was something to unpack later or something like that. Yeah. He, right. If he wasn't put off by the fact that he was using, like, steel or iron, it means that he would assume that he's also a Mistborn or I- identical to it in some sort of way, if they're synthetic. I don't know. I don't know what to make of them entirely yet, but... Him being surprised that they can use ATM, but didn't seem surprised that they could use steel or iron seemed weird to me. But anyway, going beyond that a little bit, they are clearly waiting for them, like we mentioned before. And it seems like maybe they're tracking one or both of them. But the fact that they so, and freely, I guess, isn't the right term, but freely let Kelsier escape makes me think that they're tracking Vin and they probably know that Vin is a ska misborn essentially. That's my, maybe this is a prediction as well. I don't know, but speculation at the, at at the very least. It's, it's definitely interesting because Kelsier is also a ska, right? A half, half, half. So like why let Kelsier go? And like, and just go after Vin? Is it, you know, it's, it's an interesting question to pose because, you know, they've obviously tried to get Kelsier before. And maybe that's a part of the reason why is because they were like, okay, well, this leads into a bit of a conspiracy theory that I've got. And I think we'll get into it soon. I have no idea what conspiracy theory this could be. (laughs) It revolves around Sazed. Okay. (laughs) Interesting. And yeah, that Sazed is a double agent. And they are essentially just trying to take down the entire organization rather than one. 
one or two pieces at a time. Hmm. That's my thought. The entire organization of the empire? No, the empire, like the Lord ruler and the inquisitors are waiting for the opportunity to take down Kelsier and Vin and all of their companions all at once. Hmm. Okay. Got it. And says it is their inside man. All right. Interesting. (laughs) We will definitely have to spend more time reflecting on that. Okay. I'm going to make that a big sticking point for a while now. (laughs) I don't trust anyone. (laughs) As I I read your notes, I was like, PJ just does not believe any of this shit. (laughs) I mean, you like believe in the world, but you're like, I, mm, I mean, like, who hurt you? And I know the answer. It's Pierce Brown. But like, (laughs) how could I trust anyone after reading him? (laughs) Yeah, it's fair. I understand. So, yeah, no, it's it's definitely an interesting thing. Vin, of course, finds herself confronted by an inquisitor inside of a small room. She grabs a large book and that takes a couple of daggers. She burns her ATM as well. And then the inquisitor kind of like turns his head a little bit, which I imagine very similarly. I think I said this back in the first or second episode to when Malthael in the Diablo three expansion turns his head mm-hmm. in the cinematic trailer it just reminds me of that same kind of like reaction and then you can like imagine the shadows jumping out is it, it very is it vin that says that she has to un- unpack that later like is that I the only atm burned i think it might i think be. it's the only atm burned okay yeah but yeah so like they yeah. they they burn the atm atms are also obviously vin is burning atm we see the kind of shadows jump out she kind of has to make the last second call she grabs the book takes the daggers makes it out of the room takes an axe to the stomach in a very serious very serious wound yeah and she, it's like this the way they described it almost made me think of like a mace like they, they say axe but it almost felt like they were describing I think it's a mace, like the big, big pole with a bunch, like a, a, an octagon of blades around the top. It's almost like a blunt force object, but bladed. Yeah, so I, I definitely understand what you're going for. I imagine more like, do you remember the butcher's cleaver from Diablo Three? Why is yeah. all my these are all? My I mean, because Diablo so, Three is great. Yeah, it's true. So the the sort of like cleaver stick that he uses reminds me kind <laughs> of, of that a little bit. The cleaver, <laughs> you know, because he's got a hook. He's also got the cleaver stick. Right. The, these are shards <laughs> of obsidian, correct? Like th- these aren't yeah, metal. Correct. So that way they can't be, you know, manipulated. Yeah. I just think of them as thinner. So I, I saw it as like a, I don't know, a collection of them, like a ball. I think it's, it's more axe like. Yeah, Uh, they say axe like, and I ignored that in my mind. (laughs) This isn't that at all. It can't be that. That's that's exactly how they described it. That's wrong. What? Moving on. (laughs) So Vin gets seriously wounded, though, in, in this exchange, and she finally makes it out of the building. She's shocked again by how hard the Inquisitors are able to push and kind of pull on different metals, you know, truly seeming to be much much stronger than she is or even that she's than she's ever practiced with kelsier which leads to kind of an interesting thing that we can definitely talk about but she manages to make it out onto a roof pulling herself away and inquisitor closes in and she is saved mysteriously by someone out of the night before she passes out we later learn mm-hmm. this is Sazed, but because he's on kind of this whole because he's already exchange. there because he's 
on the Lord Ruler's side. <laughs> okay. But just in general, this whole fight sequence was great. Almost everything mm-hmm. that she was taught came into play here. Yeah. Like, right. Like it, it was so close to lights out for her, but a lot of things went her way and it really proved her resourcefulness. Did you have any other thoughts on like the powers, the, the sort of discrepancies, the Inquisitors? Obviously, we got your yeah your Sazed conspiracy brain. We got that, and that'll. I guess this is the most prescient time to talk about it. Sure, it's just so convenient, man. And he never actually explains how he gets there or why he was there. He just offers up essentially points of plausible deniability. When she questions about him about it later, he's like, I could have taken the horses. They're fast. I knew whether I knew something about what Kelsier's plan was, so I could have gotten there. But explicitly, Kelsier mentions that he didn't spread his plan out. And maybe says it is his like trusted ally, but I think that's short sighted to have any sort of trusted ally in a thing like this. I don't know. I don't know, man. I just don't trust it. Caesar makes a point much, much, much later about being uh, subservient still, like despite being like eunuch and other things like that to Kelsier and like following orders. Does that, how's that fit your, your thing? Because he's like, I had to protect you. Are you saying that fits conveniently? It doesn't not fit. Okay. We need to get into the next chapter and then I think we can fully have this conversation. So let's let's get there because we do I do want to confront kind of some of this, but I want the context of kind of the stuff around it. So with that, let's move into chapter 15. We start with a little bit of prologue here. I don't know why Quan betrayed me. Even still, the event haunts my thoughts. He was the one who discovered me. He was the terrorist philosopher who first called me the hero of ages. It seems ironically surreal that now, after his long struggle to convince his colleagues, he is the only major terrorist holy man to preach against my reign. Thoughts? I mean, Quan knows what's up. Clearly. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I need more than he knows what's up. Quan doesn't have the wool pulled over his eyes. Quan understands that this dude is taken by evil and he's going to rise to be some fucking dictator. Like like a late game, I want to say Diplomatico, but Tropico game. Not really. I don't know why I brought that up. That doesn't actually make sense. The Lord Ruler... I'm also clearly following the thread that I brought up last time in that this is Lord Ruler. I think it's clear that it is at this point, especially given later on in this section where they learn that the book that Vin grabs is the journal of, of the Lord Ruler before he became what he is today. And I think prior to whatever this ascension was, there was a point of corruption and he had some very noble grand causes that he was striving towards. And that's when this Quan character began arguing for him to the other terrorist leaders. And there, there was a point where corruption really took hold and Quan saw that, but the damage was already done within the other Terrasmen, and I don't know. It seems like this weird relationship that 
was forged before some sort of point of corruption. And I'm not sure what to say beyond that because I don't know anything else. <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. It's definitely interesting the kind of groundwork that we're getting here, right? Like, we're starting to finally have an understanding after Vin picks up this book and kind of some of the stuff that happens later that these are kind of starting to both come more into focus and also out of focus. Like, most of the little prophecy chunks that we're going to be reading this week don't seem overly important, but they do lend to the story of the Lord Ruler, as you're calling it. Mm-hmm. Well, so as, as it is, because it's true. And, sure. uh... <laughs> Sure. <laughs> How silly will I look when this is wrong? How silly will it be that I'm trying to, I'm not the, like, I, is it, is it fair to say that this is clearly at this point pointing towards that being the case? Oh yeah, most definitely. Whether or I not it's that, true, it, it feels very intentionally pointing to that being the case. Well, yeah, I mean, he is he is the ascended, right? And the Lord Ruler is the ascended. So it seems like those things kind of line up, right? Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you at all. Mm-hmm. I'm just maybe toying with your emotions a little bit. Yep, yep. Fuck you. I'm gonna finish my <laughs> drink now. <laughs> all right. So we come into this chapter with Kelsier explaining to the other crew members exactly what happened at Critic Shaw and how he distracted one of the Inquisitors, but believes the third and the second may have gotten. Uh, her because there were two chasing her and one with him at first there were two one split off kind of that way the whole scene goes he feels responsible and begins to rally people hopelessly to go find vin when says it arrives with her in his arms so i know we've already had a little bit of this conversation but i think it's important to say like the dude got away from an inquisitor right like yeah as a smart man like he uses metals for intelligence and I know, mm-hmm. I know, I know there are a whole lot of in, like instances where Kelsier mentioned that they were formidable in battle specifically. Like you wouldn't want to meet them one-on-one. Whole, a whole bunch, a terraceman in general, a keeper specifically. So I'm, I'm sure there's more to it than this, but he got away too easy. He was there too conveniently. Like this is, a, this is a setup. I don't know, man. I don't trust him. So. Am I broken? I mean, (laughs) trusting people is important. And I'm not a therapist. I don't (laughs) pretend to play one on the internet. But, bruh. I mean, this character's been nothing but a good guy to us, right? Like, he's been. Yeah, but he's been too good. He's been too good. Too good. Too good. good. Okay. Too good. All right. And, of course, like, part of the joy is, like, having. He's shrouded in mystery. Yeah. Isn't everyone shrouded in mystery, though? Let's talk about the word chondra, shall we? No, we're going to talk about that later. But speaking of peculiar words, Kelsier uses a peculiar word when describing Sazed here, and we'll learn a little bit more about that over the course of this week, but he uses the word, rather Sazed actually uses the word metal mind. What do you make the concept and its reveal here? It's interesting to me that Brandon chooses it to do this way, this it this way, because this book has a very deftly so far juggled perspective with a ton of well-handled expertise so that we aren't in Kelsier's perspective when we need to have something really off the wall be revealed. We're typically in Vin's perspective when something fantastic happens. That way we don't understand what it is. But then we come mm-hmm. to Kelsier and Kelsier knows. So we just get like little glimpses of it because he's, oh, I don't need to, you know what that is. <laughs> like, it's interesting. What What do you think? So... For me, the use of the word metal mind 
did not trigger anything as like odd for me because sure. I wasn't on the lookout for it, I guess. And it's, it's mentioned twice in this section this time and towards the end, I think in quest in at least 18, maybe in 19, I can't remember. I think it's mentioned three times in this section. Is it? Once when Sazed and Vin are also having a conversation later about okay. storing religions and languages. Gotcha. And again, well, in he, the book. he mentions that here. he uses metals to remember things, but I don't believe he uses the term metal mind. I mentioned twice. Okay. Specifically. I'll double and check. I mean, I mean it, it, continue. It, it could be. The point is, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it. And honestly, I didn't realize until reading through these notes that it was a single word. I just saw it as almost the equivalent of steel trap. Like his metal mm-hmm. mind, he remembers everything. Like I, I didn't, it didn't even register with me that it was one word instead of two. And it just seemed like an alternative to steel trap, essentially. Side note, it's used two different times on page 259. It's used once here in this fashion. In addition, Sazed was no ordinary healer. Religious rites were not the only things that Keepers stored in their uncanny memories. Their metal minds contained vast wealths of information on culture, philosophy, and science. And then later, Sazed says out loud, When I found her gone from Renew's mansion, I came to Luthadel as quickly as I could. I used up an entire metal mind to make the trip with haste. I was still too late. Okay. Well, that's even more important, and I didn't catch it, so. Ah, well. You know, I don't know. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Nothing? All right. Nothing. No, that's that's way more exposition on Kelsey, not on Kelsey, or on Sazed than I realized we had. And it's going to take some time for me to, like, really, like, dig into that and understand what is going on with him. All right. All right. No off-the-cuff thoughts? You're generally all about this using up a whole metal mind to get there quickly i don't even i can't even begin to understand what that could mean like it is synthetic allomancy i guess it, it is not synthetic but allomancy circumvented maybe like you you can you can find the same powers through a different means I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I really don't have the context to really understand what's going on, but that it's different and interesting. So I'm curious. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're not supposed to have the context, right? So it's, it's supposed to be this lingering mystery, but getting your thoughts on that, I think is a, it's a good deal. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. Yeah. We also get a book written in the Kalenium language, the book that Vin had used to block the knives, and Sazed, of course, picked it up. He believes that he can translate it, and we find out later, of course, that he does do a little bit of translation here. Yeah. I mean, if anybody can do it, it's him, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Right. This book is clearly pre-Ascension, which, if I'm remembering correctly, is like 800 years ago, or is that something else entirely not in the story? I was think it was it eight hundred years? Thousands, almost a okay. thousand years old at this point. Okay, yeah, I don't remember where I got the eight hundred year figure, but at least that's in the realm of what what I was thinking. So yeah, yeah, I I think it said like it said a couple of times that like he's been the Lord Ruler for a millennia, 
and okay. not so facetious it appears especially given the some of the stuff that we get later in one of the books so right yeah maybe it was something to do with the resistance like the resistance has been operating oh, for yeah. 800 years yeah there's something like that and i think that does come up in the book a little bit later um in the books rather the one of the two books they talk okay. about uprisings for a second that sounds right gotcha so Kelsier ends this part of the novel frustrated, seemingly unable to determine what is in the room of the Lord Ruler and still unable to use the 11th medal. Well, our boy is stuck. Yep. Can we call him our boy yet? Like, are we allowed I, I to do like that? True. I don't know. No. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to start referring to Kelsier as our boy, I think. For All a right. Little bit. Our but boy, yeah, our he's boy stuck. Yeah, he's, he's stuck. And you know what? Me too. We still have so much left of this week to go and you're stuck. All right. I'm stuck enough. in understanding what's going on with this fucking room. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> what do you think's in the room? Do you have any ideas? Maybe it's, maybe it's the toilet. The it's toilet? the bathroom. It's the shower. Like this just, it's just Lord Ruler's private, private place. He doesn't want to be disturbed while he's pooping. So he gets three steel inquisitors to protect his bathroom pooping room <laughs> his pooping room all right with that we move do they do they have three. internal plumbing like i water i think so okay that's yeah then question. it can be a, then it can be a pooping room we'll call it a pooping room all right <laughs> with that we move into part three children of the bleeding sun and chapter 16 in turn so nice little break here. I really like that title chapter of or children of the bleeding sun. I think it's really evocative. Yeah. It makes me really under like not understand makes me want to understand what's going on with the sun and why it's red. My assumption was it was red because of the ash in the atmosphere, but this makes me feel otherwise. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Many think that my journey started in Colinium, the great city of wonder. They forget that I, I was no king when my quest began. Far from it. I think it would do men well to remember that this task was not begun by emperors, priests, prophets, or generals. It didn't start in Colinium or Cordral. Nor did it come from the great nations to the east or the fiery empire of the west. It began in a small, unimportant town whose name would mean nothing to you. It began with a youth, the son of a blacksmith, who was unremarkable in every way, except perhaps in his ability to get into trouble. It began with me. And what a little, what a little fuck. All right. So <laughs> this Lord is, Ruler is. this is essentially saying, oh, Lord Ruler. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying. If you're saying it, I'm going to say it. Assume, assuming it's the Lord Ruler, this is essentially saying that we should never trust any politician that comes out of a small working class home and only trust the families that have been born and bred into power. Wow. Because- you know, I think it was playing at kind of a, a different angle a little bit. I think it was... I think well, in a he big way, thinks he's doing good, but clearly he is not well adjusted enough to actually lead the world. And well, right. we need we need the people that have been bred for power to be in power with. Well, he doesn't know that he's a bad leader yet. <laughs> well, do any of them think they're bad leaders? I mean, no, this has like the, the taste and the feel of like 
uh, I too was a was a young boy from a farm or a moisture farm, and was it has a very you know like the the farm boy start of like many fantasy and science fiction series of like I was a nothing, and then I became something, and I became yeah. you know the king, yeah. the Jedi, the yeah. So the farm boy thing, <laughs> I think it's I think it's interesting, right? Because unlike a lot of other stories, this story takes place after the good guy seemingly has won. Especially with kind of this this like paint coat of paint that we're getting on it from his perspective in the journal, you know he's supposedly saved the world from the deepness. This like big, big crazy world ending threat, right? And right. what we get is like the remnants of this world where like a lot of people are suffering despite the fact that we like beat the deepness, and that's it's fascinating. It is. It is. What if Luke won but became the Sith Lord, right? Maybe be, on accident. Maybe it'd be a good story. I don't know. Maybe it would be. Maybe it's the story <laughs> we're reading. <laughs> I am having so much like I am smiling ear to ear right now. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm uh, having so much fun like making you try to navigate this conversation. <laughs> toiling, toiling away. Okay, so we open up this chapter with Lesta Bornes being surprised as Vin wakes up after two weeks, informs her that he's been given a new name, that of Spook. We get a couple of other rapid-fire updates of things that have happened while time has passed. Ham is out inspecting the army. Breeze and Kel are out recruiting. Sazed is back at Mansion Renew, leaving her here to spend some time to recover. What'd you think? What'd you get at this little part update? accelerated quick update of what's happened because clearly not a, not a ton has progressed in the actual plan but we get little character updates and i like this name spook better because i can pronounce it i don't know i just i i felt like i'm liking less bones more and more and i hesitate to say i trust him but i actually trust this one He's he's one of the good ones. Watch him be the fucking turncoat now. <laughs> Shit. Do I stop trusting him? Oh my god. All right. We also we also do learn just a smidge after this I didn't mention this, but we do learn that Marsh is attempting to infiltrate the Steel Ministry as well. So, it's another mm-hmm. little little component here. It, it's a small thing, but when Vin is awoken by Kels here, they quickly catch up, and Kel, Kel apologizes, of course. After that, Vin asks, we aren't invincible, are we? And this kind of in combination with the experience that we had from the, the end of the last part is seemingly Brandon planting seeds that these characters don't have as thick of plot armor as we'd believe them to have, as though they are much more vulnerable than a lot of other protagonists in a meta way. I mean, if we stay to stay true to that going forward, it's honestly kind of a refreshing take on things. I don't mind sort of a, a certain air of plot armor to our main characters, all things considered. But the fact that we've already gotten multiple point of views and one of them has already died on top of this comment about like, we're not invincible. It it makes for a much more exciting story to unfold going forward. And I'm, I don't know. I'm interested, I guess I'm excited. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting little complex piece to like tuck in on top of a lot of the rest of the story. It it makes for I don't know, more a more layered presentation. It makes you feel like you should be fearing for everyone's lives and that any of this damage does have ramifications on everyone else's plans because now they're kind of behind as we learn a little bit later. Um, upon Vin's return to Mansion Renew, of course, she was in she has a brief run in with Lord Renew himself in in which Vin finds herself easily slipping back into the Lady Valette persona. She finds this comfortable, but decides that she also needs to go and confront Sazed on what exactly he is. I think this will take up most of our conversation about the rest of the chapter, but what'd you make of Sazed and Vin's conversation around what a keeper is, languages, and kind of our understanding of religions and the like? I mean, obviously we know yeah. we're afraid of Sazed. <laughs> we are. We are to a certain extent, but... You are. I am. We are. We, me, and all of the listeners who are on my side. Because I'm right. I really do love the way he's written. He is this proper... He, he, man, I don't know how to describe it. He comes across as like this proper scholar. We know he seems relaxed when he's sitting straight up with like a super formal stance. I'm just, I'm still trying to figure out the the convenience of him saving Vin. And I'm also curious about what we talked about a couple episodes ago, maybe, of the sort of hive mind thing. Like, Are these keepers all tapped into some sort of hive mind? Is that metal a connection point of some sort? Like tapping into a specific metal allows you to grab information from from a source, like one of eight sources or one of ten sources or whatever it is. I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm curious and intrigued and excited, but curious more than anything. Okay. All right. So to, to kind of refute your point a little bit here, I, I want to mention something that kind of says it in particular brings up to Vin and maybe this reinforces the point to you to make you believe that he's more of a an outsider but he he says my people are less than slaves they're fabricated automatons created by breeding programs trained from birth to fulfill the lord ruler's wishes and this is a very brutal reality of the people of Terrace. And while it seems like not every terraceman, of course, is eunuch, the stewards are, the breeding program in general and kind of all of those implications, it, it seems like the entire race is on a very short leash. Yeah. My one question about that is the keepers, the terracemen obviously existed before the Lord Ruler did, but so did the keepers specifically, and he was afraid of them. So... It, has the keeper ha, have keepers become something different since then, or has the the story changed? I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. So I don't think that, in particular, the keepers existed before the Lord Ruler. It feels like they existed as a response to the Lord Ruler when the okay. Lord Ruler started taking out religions and stuff like that. I just, I know the Lord Ruler talked about how dangerous they were and how the journal entries talked about how dangerous they were. Specifically about the Pac-Man, not about keepers. Okay, okay. Sorry, yeah. I had that crossed in my mind a little bit. 
Yeah, let me just. I'm gonna. I've got a copy of the the entire logbook right here. Nope, not keeper is not used. It is. I am correct in this case. Okay, just wanted to double check. I was like, I'm pretty sure he doesn't say keeper. He does just say Pac-Man because they're okay. using strange abilities and, and stuff like that. So right. So I guess that was that was my thought was that they were the same thing, but. You know, keepers appear to be something different, potentially. Because it says it also mentioned that they were nearly, like, he and his ilk were nearly hunted to existence, or to extinction, right? Yes, hunted to existence, yes. Hunted to existence, yes. Hunted until they existed, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, no, they were, they were hunted to extinction, or nearly hunted to extinction. And I think that's because he wants the keepers dead, right? Because they possess knowledge of... Yeah, of religions but, and of worlds gone by. But here he's also saying that he was like that the keepers were created for the Lord Ruler and potentially by the Lord Ruler for I, I don't know. It just seems conflicting in that sense. No, like, were he's they, saying that stewards were created for the Lord Ruler, not keepers. So my people are less than slaves. So that's terrorist people, right? They are okay. fabricated automatons created by breeding programs, training from birth to fulfill the Lord Ruler's wishes. So he's also specifically talking about like him being made a eunuch and other things like that. So he's delineating that like all of his people in various capacities are being okay. restrained and picked apart and so destroyed. I guess, I guess that's where my confusion came from because Sazed sure. is several different things. He mm-hmm. is and, and they all overlap. But he is a terraceman, he is a mm-hmm. keeper, and he is a steward. Yes. So what is he referring to as my people here? I I think he's referring to the terrace people. The terrace people in general. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. So there are few, very few of us left in the... Terrace, most terracemen are raised from birth to be stewards. There are very few of us left, and the Lord Ruler's breeders control our reproduction. No terraceman steward is allowed to have a family or bear children. So, yeah, it, it feels like, given the way that he's talking about this, he's speaking about the fact that the terrace people are basically kept alive, but heavily restrained. Okay. So, that's that's kind of where, like, my pushback on your is says it a double agent thing comes from. Well, how how did he escape that? And how is he not actively hunted if they're that regulated? Well, he's a steward. So he's working in service of a noble house. He's being close. Oh, okay. Okay. It's just that the noble house is fraudulent. Yeah. And he's hiding the fact that he's a keeper. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't buy it, but I understand. (laughs) Okay. We get seemingly the final word on Mare here as well as she's described as Kelsier's wife and being the one who potentially betrayed him all those years ago. This is a really hard way to end this chapter. Like this is just like a a hard out in its own right. <laughs> what'd you What'd you think? I mean, it's a fucking stab. It so I can't remember if that was right here or if it was later, but it's mentioned that the Lord Ruler thanked her for the betrayal. And Mm -hmm. I think that's later, but you know, okay. Either way we're talking about her now. We might as well bring that up. Yeah. That wording seems super careful and it makes me wonder if it was a conscious intentional betrayal or if it was like something that she thought that gave up their 
their positioning or their intentions or something like that, like get tapped into her, into their thoughts or manipulated her in some way without her understanding it. Like it wasn't an actual intentional conscious betrayal based on that wording. It just seemed super, not necessarily unnatural, but super specific the way it was described. It, it almost reminds me of the way that like a bond villain would say like, Oh, thank you for that information. Yeah, exactly. You know, like it's got that air of like, I didn't realize what I did kind of. Yeah. 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 Totally. Like you, you slipped up and I got into all this information from that, but Mm -hmm. I'll call it your betrayal. Like your, your thoughts betrayed you or something like that. Like is not an uncommon thing to say. In these sort of situations. So I'm, I'm curious if that's the deal here and Kelsier just doesn't understand it yet. Yeah. Or could the Lord ruler read minds? That's, I mean, that's kind of what I was alluded to alluding to. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, she was thinking about something and the Lord ruler happened to be tapping into her Mm. thoughts at that moment. So she betrayed him. She betrayed their intentions in that way without it being a conscious intentional decision to do so. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I totally see that and definitely understand that feeling like a very direct stab. And I mean, especially when we, we talked previously last week or the week prior, I can't remember which it was, but in the conversation with Marsh, right about them both caring for her too. And there's that kind of extra complication as they kind of, as his brothers, they came to terms with, you know, their their loss. I also want to say that you owe me a drink here because you had assumed that they were like sisters, like brothers, like siblings, oh, even my, if not blood yeah, related. I agree yeah. with you. I do owe you a drink. My assumption was that either they were siblings or Mare was Marsh's wife. Yes. Based on the way that conversation went, as opposed yep. to Kelsier's wife. Like, I thought it explicitly pointed away from that so yes i owe you a drink yes i agree i agree you do owe me a drink it just it it does make for a really strange family dynamic going back and thinking about those conversations between kelsier and marsh yeah it definitely does It, it lends itself to a very different and interesting perspective here Cool. With that, we move into chapter 17. We start off with another little passage here, of course, like every chapter. Sometimes I wonder what would have happened if I'd remained there in that lazy village of my birth. I'd have become a smith like my father. Perhaps I'd have a family, sons of my own. Perhaps someone else would have come to carry this terrible burden. Someone who could bear it far better than I. Someone who deserved to be a hero. Thoughts? Mm, Emo kid. Emo kid. You know, it's it's interesting to have the, the Lord Ruler kind of be reflecting on this before his ascension, right? As far as we know, this all appears to be written kind of in process of him, like, traveling to wherever he needs to be inside of Terrace. And it's it's interesting, right? Like, it it is very, very self-reflective. It's a little bit self-aggrandizing, for sure, but self-reflective, for, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So is this to make us assume that the Lord Ruler does not have any children of his own? I'm guessing. 
I would I would assume so. Yes, at the very least okay. at this point, right? Right. So, not not maybe he he could have kids now, but you know at, at this, this point, point so far. yeah, at the point in this journal that's definitely by the Lord Ruler, and right. uh, I will not I will not hear otherwise. <laughs> well, right, pre ascension. Yeah. What it, you know? It's it's a curious question. What was his name pre ascension? You know, like what. I don't know. Like that's Jacob. So everyone else's names like fucking Jacob <laughs> or everyone else's names like Kelsier and Vin. And you're saying Jacob, huh? All right. Some, Fair some enough. weird eccentric off the beaten path town, <laughs> traditional name. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> those, those are the standards, but like Hammond. Jacob, Jacob is this weird breeze. Jacob is like the crossland of this. Lester Bornes. Yeah, <laughs> Jacob. All right. Yeah. No. I mean, Jacob works. Jacob is like that. I mean, it, it fits. It fits. There's there's a couple of nice like world building details that we get here right off the bat too. Plants owned and maintained by the nobility tend to be orange, yellow, and red, mostly f- focused in the leaves. S- street spice is apparently addictive. This chapter starts light and makes us almost feel as captive for information as Vin feels while she's at mansion renew before Kelsier and the crew's arrival later in the chapter. So how many stories use spice as a drug? And are they all referencing Dune? I mean, star Wars does. And that feels like a very clear, obvious Mm -hmm. reference to Dune. I don't think this is. Matter of fact, PJ, I don't know if this term is ever used again in the story. When I noticed it, I had to put it in because it felt like a particular detail. And I was like, huh, I don't remember this at all. This feels like one of those like just one-offs. But Interesting. Yeah. It was just it was it was one of those things. And yeah. I don't know. Just just one of those things. Just one of those days. Yeah. No, it it just felt very strange in, in sort of reference. But, I mean, I feel like that makes a ton of sense. I mean, consider how wide the impact and influence of Dune is. I, I think recently Brandon Sanderson ranked his, like, top fantasy things. And I think inside of that conversation, he talked quite a bit about the worms of Dune being like just one of the best things ever. So it doesn't shock me that spice is on his mind. It's, it's one of his favorite stories. So it makes sense. Oh, by the way, any, any thoughts on the plants and the colors? I mean, they're not green. Correct. Right. Yes. But red, orange, and yellow are not what I was expecting. I was expecting like gray and Brown based on the descriptions. Sure, and the only reason that they're red, orange, and yellow is because they're getting way more water. Right. Yeah. Right, and just more more attention, more tending. Where Meanwhile, everything else is like gray and brown and awful and looks like trash. But okay. even the yeah. nice flowers don't look like our good flowers, you know? Yeah. Shitty, shitty flowers. I don't have anything yeah. more to say about that. Shitty flowers. Yeah. Shitty flowers. flowers. Yep. The crew, just like you, doesn't have a whole lot more to share in the way of positive updates. <laughs> One of the biggest updates, perhaps, is the nature of the journal entries that we've been reading. Of course, the man who became the Lord Ruler seems to have penned this journal, but its information is largely mundane in nature, according to Sazed so far. 
Yeah, I'd be curious to to actually see more specific thoughts from each of the characters about these journal entries, particularly Sazed. If we could get Sazed as a point of view to really like dig into these comments about his ancestors, it'd be super mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, it'd be very very useful. I think to us to to have that information. Mm-hmm. It. It's also interesting because we know that there are actually going to be copies reproduced of of the translations that Sazed is making here by Clubs' apprentices. So they will all end up with this. So it seems as though we might be eventually getting what you're talking about. Right, but not with the same context. Not with the same background as Sazed has. Oh, Unless we jump into Sazed's perspective at some point. Right, right. I guess I, I'm thinking that at the very least they're going to talk about it. Yeah, that's true. Again, it's a weird balance because we've talked about this before. Whenever we hop in Kelsier's perspective, we generally get we don't get like an info dump, but we get a term dump <laughs> in a way. And then we get exposition of the terms over time to begin to understand exactly what they are. So, right. Yeah, it's it's interesting that way. And to your point, I think Sazed would probably also provide us with a similar perspective in the way that we'd be given like a term dump, but perhaps explanation. I mean, Especially with kind of the formal encyclopedic knowledge that he has, you know, it would fit. It would. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. We will definitely see what happens. Read and find out. The crew, excuse me, the conclusion from the meeting, of course, is for Vin to head to the ball since the rest of the crew's progress has been seemingly stalled without the benefit of her information on what's going on with the upper echelon of society following that we get a really fantastic little note about how vince confidence seems to have grown she's changing for the better and reflecting on her own growth she feels more like a woman herself and feels truly like a mistborn so this whole story so far has been a really intense coming of age story for Vin. and mm-hmm. i guess I, I was gonna say that it comes at a pretty accelerated rate but we're like halfway through this book at this point so maybe not but we we really get to see her mature and evolve in a very, very real way. And it's tangible and visible and really, really cool to see. So we get less and less of her brother's whispers into her mind. We get them once in a while, but she's less influenced by Reen. She is less skittish, like I mentioned before. She's more confident. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. She's really just kind of falling into place here. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It does have that feeling, that sensation here. So it it does feel like she's finally kind of beginning to align emotionally with the changes that she's, she's seen in herself and kind of the confidence and has the ability to reflect internally and be like, Oh yeah, cool. Good. And she still hears Reen's voice throughout these sections, but it feels like she's also getting better at shutting it down. Exactly. Yeah, it's still there, but it's subdued to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we spoke a little bit earlier about Mare and kind of Kelsier, and Kelsier has this very open conversation about the risk of love, even in the midst of betrayal from Mare. And I think it's a really wonderful note on top of, you know, the story. It's got this tinge of hope that he really wants to give and share with Vin and the sort of expectations of wonder and the importance of a good mindset, which is what we've been talking about, which I think he's imparted to her in, in large part. But they also have a conversation kind of around the flower and, and other components. What would you make of this little moment? 
I'm not entirely sure that we needed more motivation from Kelsier for like why he's going up against the Lord Ruler. But it's nice to have more. And it's nice to have more backstory. So, I don't know. It's just fleshing it out even more. I don't think at this point it's convoluting the motivation, but there, there's almost it's almost to that point. Like there's too much motivation and too much backstory. That's I don't think that's there yet. I don't think it's to that point. But I love the flower conversation, and I guess, I guess where I'm coming from with with that comment about it being too much backstory. And like I said, I, I think it, it rides a line, but I don't think it's across the line yet. Is it, it just it feels like emotional backstory for the sake of being emotional, and I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it adds to his sort of revenge plot at all, other than just kind of giving us more, more of his personal backstory. But it, it feels like it's there to give us more revenge backstory. I. I'm not articulating that well, but do you understand what I'm saying? I I do, and I I think I disagree with it because I think the point of the I think the point here. So you're saying the point is to either like paint his motivation or to kind of give additional rationale to to kind of actions here. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. From from the relationship perspective, but I I don't I don't agree with that. I feel like this is more saying to Vin that it's important to like not be jaded because this, this, the good stuff can still happen in like reminding her that despite like even someone betraying you or hurting you, like you, you still like having the opportunity to love someone is still important. And I think that he's trying to mm-hmm. impart that lesson more than this is being used as uh, a means of explaining Kelsier's motivation. It feels more like it's about teaching because we, we knew previously about his, that he was motivated by what happened to Mare. Like we already knew that he was motivated by whatever happened to Mare. And we just continue to get like little bits and drops of information. But this feels more like a relay to Vin to, to like try to, you know, not like, not like saying like lighten up girl, like, but also be like, you know, it's, it's okay to show emotion, to be emotional and that's something that obviously Vin struggled with, and she's kind of coming into her own in her own way. This this self confidence and growth that she's seeing, but yeah, right, yeah, it's that's kind of I my thought. I, I understand where you're coming from. I just I don't agree with it. Yeah, no, I but. I appreciate that sort of pushback because I think I'm with you now. the The flower is really interesting, though, right? Because that that is very different. Like, where did that come from? It kind of is the question that's posed by the flower, right? Like, how did we either get a picture, the drawn picture, the the color captured, et cetera? Like, how did that happen is kind of the, the interesting question about the flower. Like, when when was that information gathered, taken, passed down? They mentioned that it was a very, very, very old piece of paper, right? Yes. Yep. So it could be from pre-ascension. I don't know about that. I don't know if it's that old. I can't really remember. know that a book survived pre-ascension, right? Like this journal. Yeah, that's true. So, so like this picture probably did too. How she got a hold of it, who knows? Right. 
Yeah. But I guess that's not so much important other than the fact that she found it and was motivated by it. Totally. Which is interesting. They, they also share this little note when they're talking about Mare. This is another kind of like layer that gets added here. They, they share a conversation around snapping using a capital S here and the implications therein. Kelsier explains that he snapped when Mare died. I, I want to ask if you had to place a guess or a bet out there, when do you think it is that Vin snapped? So, first of all, before we get into that, does that constitute a correct answer in my prediction? What do you mean? I feel like I made a prediction about Kelsier gaining his powers having to do with Mare's death. I I also said that he was that tortured was... into it. Yeah. I don't think it was a strict prediction. It wasn't. Let me... And and it was more about his torture than anything else. So, you know. Let me just But I, I feel like I I feel like I might have actually used the term snapped. Oh, you want to know what? Okay. You did well. I I actually led you with the term "snapped" um, did a you? little bit. Like okay. I, I actually put it in quotes because he does say "snapped." Here's what you wrote in the notes, and it is actually italicized. So we will have to sort this out right now. There are a lot of assumptions to this guess, but okay. So here's the question: We get a little bit more on Mare, her being a Tenai, and we also get a little detail. Kelsier's powers, of course, appeared later when he snapped. Thoughts here. There And this is the italicized portion that you respond with. There are lots of assumptions to this guess, but hear me out. I think there are many things that led to his elementic powers coming to be. One is extreme physical and emotional pain, being torture and the loss of Mare. Another is the ATM mine. He mentions how powerful it is and how he doesn't necessarily know what it does. I'm guessing that somehow gets into his bloodstream. Those factors all come together to awaken something. Thinking about this more, I'm guessing this wasn't an accident and that this was an experiment. He was meant to be broken in this way and for the Alamancy to be awakened. What wasn't meant to happen was for him to retain his, his own will and for him to escape. Okay. So, that said, I mean, pretty close on Mare. Like, pretty close, but I know for, say that I know physical, for a physically fact. and emotionally. Like, I know for a fact I was leaning more on the torture. Definitely. Like, I, I was convinced that his coming to power had to do with torture. But this was before I understood that snapping was a thing. But I don't know. Fuck it. I'll drink for it. Well, I already drank for it. So, but I mean, you can drink for it too. The reason that I wanted to give you credit is because Kelsier does specifically say physical and or emotional. Okay. So like he does specify that snapping can happen either because of some form of physical trauma or emotional trauma. And so that is... You know, you basically nailed what snapping is, which I think is kind of at the heart of that question. Yeah. To a, to a certain degree. You know, the rest of your motivations and questions there, we can just, like, leave for the time being and maybe revisit. Yeah, there's, there's some that could still come to be. Yes. Right. Right. Side note, shout out to Google Docs for being so easy to search for words and phrases. Yeah, that's that was really dope. easy to find that. Cool. So, yeah. But you still haven't given me when you think Vin snapped. Oh, Yeah. Do you know if we got a recollection from Vin about having luck with Reen? I don't think so. Okay. That's a tough one. So if that, if she hasn't, my thought is it was the point where Reen left. If she did talk about that, then I have no fucking idea. Like, <laughs> I don't know. She's had a hard fucking life. Okay. 
So you're saying when Reen left? When Reen left. If, yeah, basically. And I'm if there was... I can't think of one. So either if we're God, proven wrong in the future, yeah. we... If I'm proven wrong in the future, or if you can point out a, a spot where she talks about having luck before Reen left, then I will dr- drink for that prediction. All right, fair enough. So we'll take that. Our little note here... Our, our final little note of this chapter returns to that of the flower and Vin wishing to see one. I think that this is a really hopeful way to end this chapter to show how Vin is beginning to change and shift now into an almost hopeful person. I think this gets back to like what Kelsey is trying to impart and how she in particular, she isn't skeptical of this lesson. Like she is a lot of the other kind of lessons and comments and conversations that she was having at the beginning of the book with him. And so she almost immediately is able to take this conversation and seemingly put it into action, you know? So there's a couple reasons for that, I think. One is just personal growth. And two is that this doesn't seem to be something that could be used to manipulate Vin to do something that she doesn't want to do, you know? Like, this seems like a lesson for the sake of a lesson, as opposed to, I'm teaching you something because it's going to benefit me somehow. So sure. I, I think there's both those aspects, but more more than anything, I think we're starting to see her really grow into a confident and more trusting person. Yeah, she does seem to be kind of headed and in, in changing in that direction. Mm-hmm. And to your point, I think that is that it, this is that that sign of of growth. I also think that you're not very far off I, with your with your other kind of assumption about Vin's behavior, where. She doesn't really have a reason to doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. With that, we move into chapter 18. The journal entry at the top of the page reads, You could say that circumstances forced me to leave my home behind. Certainly. If I had stayed, I would now be dead. During those days, running without knowing why, carrying a burden I didn't understand, I assumed that I would lose myself in Clenium and seek a life of indistinction. I'm slowly coming to understand that anonymity like so many other things, has already been lost to me forever. That's an interesting passage. Why do you say that? So, he he has gained popularity and or notoriety because anonymity has been lost forever for mm-hmm. him. So, like, there, there's already a sense that he is famous and it can't be put back in the bottle. But... What's curious to me is the so much more comment. I don't understand off the top of my head what else might be lost. Maybe it's the prospect of a normal, quiet life, but that feels like it's tied directly to the idea of not having anonymity anymore. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if he would distinguish that as two separate things. And I certainly don't think that would constitute so much more. So I don't know. I'm just curious what that last, those last couple words mean in this context. It's definitely much more interesting than it appears on the surface, right? Because it seems fairly mundane. But again, like this entire journal is so interesting because it unfolds with perspective. And now given the knowledge that we have after breaking in and stealing this journal and the fact that it survives... And the fact that it was in the Lord's ruler, ruler's possession is the Lord ruler. It it has a very interesting 
you know, weight to it. So something I just thought about and mm-hmm. no idea what to make of it, but we have to go way back mm-hmm. in order to like suss this out a little bit. Why is this book in that? Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like I need to take that into consideration where it, when I'm trying to think about what that room might be and what it might be for. And I but think it's, that, I, I still think it's his pooping room. This is his. Well, that book wasn't in the center <laughs> room. That book was in a side room. Oh, was it? Okay. Yes. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. That, that side down room, the hallway. That side room is his pooping room. Then. Well, you said the center room is the pooping room. I did. Okay. They can both be pooping rooms. They're, they're two different pooping rooms. <laughs> Jesus. There was no space to poop in the other room. <laughs> Depends on the running uh, water, man. There was no running water. <laughs> There's none now? There wasn't any running water in that room. The room was well described. The side room. The room where she found the book. Yeah, you're right. Small square room. Candelabra on the wall. Waiting room. Uh, It was kind of like a ritual room, it appeared, because it had a giant stone table in the center. The book was there. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Never mind. Yep. But I had something relevant turned back into poop jokes. So. Back into poop jokes. Yes. So Finn steps into the Ilarial ballroom, her beautiful red dress flowing around her with a sense of purpose and confidence. She's discussing her goals with Sazed when a thudding stack of books lands on the table she's sitting at and Ellen sits down next to her. His remarks pretty funny actually <laughs> i love the way he dismisses the regal concerns of the ball despite like vin's every attempt otherwise to like be valette at this point what would you think between the two of them the, the like little banter we get i don't know i just love the conversations like mm-hmm. they were awesome the banter the the way vin ends up just kind of giving him the cold shoulder and like that being weirdly tension-filled and satisfying like i don't know i just felt like it was really well written and fun it it is funny how she does give him the cold shoulder and he like reacts really poorly to it later like there there's a number of different times where he's like what are you what (laughs) where Mm -hmm. it's almost like she's acting very counter to like his expectations in a way right and he's acting counter to the expectations of you know everyone else at the ball including finn yep yep and it's not as though kind of that first barrage and exchange is the end of it really you know like ellen as the venture heir often attends these balls escorting various women we find out and the combination of glare and just general disinterest that ellen has in in kind of following these customs i think is really funny i think that it it makes me giggle when like the blonde was shooting daggers across the room especially considering how hard vin is working at being like at really being and becoming lady valette yeah this is the point <laughs> I think this is an answer to something we brought up earlier. Sure. And it's deeply troubling for me as a person <laughs> and my personality in that this is the point where I'm really starting to like him as a character. Uh-huh. And simultaneously using that as fuel to not trust him. <laughs> like uh, why should I trust somebody like why should you I don't trust, trust somebody people unlikable either? <laughs> Well, why would you trust somebody unlikable, Crossland? Oh, man. I just... It's its a train wreck to try, like, <laughs> under 
understand. I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from, right? Because before you're like, oh man, he's running very like counter to everything. I, I don't know if we can like him. I don't know if we can trust him. I think that he's, you know, untrustworthy for those reasons. And now you're like, oh, he's kind of funny and I'm kind of starting to like him. I know that I can't trust him. <laughs> just Like, it just feels, it feels too perfect, you know? Like, he, he is exactly what we need from a character from Vin's perspective to be like the in for this like high family. But neither of them like want the in, you know what I mean? Like, no, no, but they need it. He, she needs the in who cares if Vin wants it. I don't know. It just, it's too convenient of an in regardless of who seizes it. Sure. Sure. That's that's funny. I'm just I'm I'm enjoying I'm enjoying your skepticism about literally everyone <laughs> except for Kelsier. <laughs> and maybe Doxon, I guess. Well, Vin. <laughs> and Vin, yeah, right. I I do want to discuss Ellen's exposition here about the ska that we get as well. I I think that it's best we kind of all do this with a bit of full, further context as we get uh kind of fuller context a little bit later in the chapter here when we talk about the books but so i think we'll move to the dance next that she shares with lord lisi lyessi they share a bit of a conversation in which he also slips up and offers some information about a new character as well lady sean shan not sean what the fuck lady shan we'll chat more about her later as well but any thoughts on lisi god he he's an awkward fellow <laughs> like all I did was bring up super weird feelings about like me at dances in high school. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> like I Vin, am, the person who's trained over like the last two weeks on how to dance is dancing better than the trained professional. Yeah, well, I mean like I Alright, so Crossland knew me in high school, clearly. Mm-hmm. I was a tall, lanky motherfucker. Still a tall, lanky motherfucker. I am. That's true. But I'm more confident about it, I guess. I did not like drawing attention to myself. Still don't to a certain extent, but I guess I can handle it. But I couldn't back then. So the idea of a dance where I am the tallest person in a gymnasium made me like melt in like anxiety and fear. I hated it. (laughs) So when I say that this guy was acting more awkward than I was, should should carry some weight, I think. You do obviously get the motivation behind that awkwardness and that apprehension in that Vin was sitting the heir to the Venture family-like property. And she's she's able to kind of break that down and dispel it and create a pretty uh, convincing story about why she's sitting with him. So that's cool. And that's a fun take on it. But yeah, I just, he resonated with me so much. It was really unexpected and uh, unsettling way. I think didn't, didn't expect to bring up those feelings again, ever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, would you say that you trust him? Oddly, yes. Just just the fact of that I do makes me feel like I shouldn't, you know? <laughs> but, yes, I feel like win? I do, do trust him. What the fuck, Crossland? 
What did Pierce Brown do to me? You've been damaged beyond belief. <laughs> All right. So, oh man, this is this is going to be so much more fun. So, <laughs> I'm just kidding. This, yeah. this just goes on. Yep. 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 I love Ellen's reaction as well to Vin calling her an older brother after she dances with a couple more people and whatnot. And it just a joke that happens to her twice your Valette, unless you're a very mature 10 year old, I'm nowhere near twice your age. It's just so well done. It, this, of course, also leads into a reveal that Chanel Ariel is actually engaged to Ellen, which is its own issue. Wait. Yeah. Yeah, all right. A couple things to mention here. First of all, Chanel Ariel is I hadn't hadn't think thought of it pronounced that way. And honestly, might be the new fuck. What's the, what's the Gilraced? name? No, 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 no. The name I always laughed at in that series. No, 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 no. It was because it rhymed. Oh, Iona Bologna? <laughs> Iona Bologna. <laughs> Chanel Ariel. <laughs> Channel Ariel. Channel Ariel is the new Iona Bologna in my mind, I think. It's got a very like regal Lord of the Rings almost vibe and tone to it, you know? It's, Versus like some of these other names. It's melodic. It's great. Fair point. Melodic um, putting it. Anyway, the twice your age comment had me like, okay. My first pass at this section was audiobook. Mm-hmm. And this chapter was done laying in bed, end of the night, laying in bed. And I'm pretty sure I woke up, Caleb, by like shaking, by trying to not laugh out loud at that comment. Oh, man. (laughs) So I love it. I loved it. It was great. Super funny. But uh, yeah, Chanel Ariel is my new favorite. What what about the uh, the implication of them being engaged? That's a complication, a little mm-hmm. bit, and we we kind of get a a scene with her next, I guess, and that whole scene made me want to call her very mean names, but then I realized that she's talking to somebody who, from her perspective, is kind of encroaching on her fiance. So, you know, I kind of get it. But overall, I'm not sure what to make of her. She is, she's kind of the queen bee of her social circle and plays it well. She's, she's a little bit entitled, but so are all of the other nobles that we meet. So, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's a treat, especially as we find out more information about her later, having like a back alley relationship, a secret covert relationship, which just adds to this whole drama and dynamic of of the courtly courtliness around her so courtliness courtliness yeah yep yeah that sounds like the right term that sounds real yeah Yeah. any other thoughts on channel aria nope no what about the conversation that they have any anything there (laughs) the conversation between her and vin yeah yeah she gets called over the table and you know kind of the whole i felt like vin handled it very well and including I, running away. Including running away. But yeah. even even the way she ran away was not not as awkward as it could have been two weeks prior. Yeah. Or, or a month or prior. Whatever, whatever it was. Yeah. Like yeah, it was awkward and abrupt. And oh no, my terrorist is waiting for me. I gotta go. 
is not not regal, but at least she didn't like melt <laughs> literally at the scene, <laughs> which I think she would have. Mm-hmm. Her first her first outing as a noble lady. Yeah. Yeah, fair point. So let's let's hop back to the two books that we find that Ellen has left at the table. The first one we kind of see on like page 301. The second one we see when she returns to the table and begins to flit through them. What'd you make of the two different books? The you know, we we obviously see Metal Minds mentioned again. We get some like general anti Lord Ruler sentiment in the one book. The Weather Patterns book, which is interesting. What'd you think? Uh, this is more of... God, this is just more fuel for my like distrusting conspiracy theory brain here. Like, why would he leave these books here? These ones specifically. It just seems too on the nose for exactly what they're dealing with. With... with Ska Rebellion. Sazid? Sazid? I don't know. There we go. All right. It's fine. I say Sazid in my head when I read it. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I just it's okay. do. It's okay. <laughs> uh, continue. What do you want from me? I don't know. That's just. I want better, damn it. How I have. <laughs> I know Sazid is the way they pronounce it in the audiobooks. I know Sazid is probably the proper pronunciation. When I read it, it's Sazed. And <laughs> fuck you. But just the fact that this is so many components of what they're dealing with covertly makes me really feel like there is information that Ellen knows and is like baiting her with. This this feels like bait to me. Okay. All right. So Ellen splits from the table after a brief conversation with Ben, picking up his books and heading over to share a conversation with a couple of house rivals. What do you think is Ellen's true intentions, given what we find out about him over the course of this chapter? You kind of been hinting at it, but this is this is the official flagged, you know, prediction. Officially, I think he knows who Vin is and knows about their their plot. And is trying to use her and trying to like convince her that he's a good guy or is on her side, not necessarily for means to like, not necessarily for means in line with the Lord ruler, but specifically for his own purposes of, I don't know, gaining power within nobility and potentially gaining power within his own house ahead of when his his airship should airship that's not the right term but ahead of when the leader happens yeah ahead of his 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 birthright yeah so i don't know i think he's impatient and i think he we get into this later i guess a little bit in that he's meeting with prominent members of rival houses at the end of this chapter or the end of the section. I can't remember when, but I feel like that feeds into this as well in that I don't think he's acting in parallel with his own house, but I also don't necessarily think he's acting in parallel with the Lord ruler. 
it's, he seems sort of like a rogue agent and I'm not sure what to make of it entirely yet. Okay. All right. Was that too convoluted? Was that like too much all at once? For this no, question. I've, okay. I think, I think that's a reasonable, I mean, it, it really boils down fairly simply to maybe he's impatient, wants to take out his own house. Maybe he, you know, wants to, maybe he knows about Vin and wants to go that direction. So, yeah. Right. I mean, pulling it really down. Right. Cool. All right. The death in the courtyard, I think, is really sobering as we leave the ball. And it's a sobering way to, like, keep us and Vin engaged in the story. As she puts it on the last page here of this chapter, don't forget the ash because you've seen a little silk. And, you know, we've read a lot of very prosy, poetry-y writing over the course of the last series. And we've talked about this before, but Brandon is doesn't write that way strictly. But every once in a while, he'll drop flourishes like this. And we haven't highlighted a lot of them, but this, I think, is a is a great one. To, to just you know yeah highlight this is an amazing quote but i think you hit the nail on the head here specifically when you mentioned that this kind of grounds us as readers into what mm-hmm. we like what what the whole goal is and what the motivation is and it, it definitely does the same for vin But this was not eye-opening and not like revelatory for me, but it it was kind of a tether. I I definitely, once I read this quote, realized, hey, I'm floating a little bit away from from the whole point. Yeah, right. Like you've you've just wandered just a little bit far away. Your attention has flirted over into these these like different boundaries of like, oh, the Steel Inquisitors and the Lord Ruler, and mm-hmm. this journal and the and the group, and should I trust everyone that's and the, the nobility and, and the these nobility. balls right. and the Mistborn and jumping around all willy nilly and through the woods on these like magnetic railways and <laughs> There's just so much going on, but it's all just pulling me a little bit farther away from the ska and they're the oppression of the ska. So this was this was a great tethering point for me. Yeah, yeah, I think tether's a good way to put it. I think it's like an it's a reawakening, just like a re- it's a it's a reminder. It's like this is why we're here, and this is yeah. really the reason behind this chunk of the story and why we're even doing this in the first place. So, mm-hmm. oh, it's also brutal. I mean, it's just another, you know, wake up call in, in its own way of like, yeesh, this, these people are overtly very, very violent. Yeah. So with that, we get into chapter 19, the last chapter of the week right here at the beginning. We've got our little journal entry, of course, Quan and I met by happenstance, though I suppose he would use the word providence. I've met many other terrorist philosophers since that day. They are, every one, men of great wisdom and ponderous sagaciousness, men with an almost palpable importance. Not so, Quan. In a way, he is fucking shit. In a way, he is as unlikely a prophet as I am a hero. He never had an air of ceremonious wisdom, nor was he a religious scholar. When we first met, he was studying one of his ridiculous interests in the great Clenny Library. I believe he was trying to determine whether or not trees could think. That he should be the one who finally discovered the great hero of terrorist prophecy is a matter that would cause me to laugh had events turned out a little differently. This is an interesting, like, little bit of prophecy, right? This is, 
very different as far as a lot of the other little components go here and, and gives us another name back in the past with our boy, the Lloyd ruler. Our boy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's more accurate. Quan, mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and say, I trust Quan more than anybody else in this story so far. I mean, you could trust the Lord Ruler, right? Like, he's just going to do what he does. He seems pretty true to himself. He doesn't <laughs> seem like there's anything. He is doing what is on his mind. He's not. He doesn't seem to be lying about basically anything. Jesus. All right. Anyway, continue with uh, trusting Quan. <laughs> Hashtag Lord Ruler did nothing wrong. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know. Quan, we, we had... Him in the previous section saying, mentioning that Quan was the only one to question him as far as the Terrasman rulers go. And it seems at this point, this is a passage earlier than that, before, seemingly before Quan was a ruler or a leader within the Terrasman. Yeah, that for sure. Can we go back and read the the next, like yeah, the, the so, previous one, so just to have them we, side by side? We definitely can, and I'll definitely pull it up here. Okay, so 18. You could say... This actually isn't the one that you want. You want Is it 17? 17, I think, yeah. So, chapter 15. I don't know why Quan betrayed me. Even still, this event haunts my thoughts. He was the one who discovered me. He was the terrorist philosopher who first called me the Hero of Ages. It seems ironically surreal that now, after his long struggle to convince his colleagues, he is the only major terrorist holy man to preach against my reign. Okay, so Terrace Holy Man mm-hmm. is not necessarily leader, so it could hypothetically be he could be out of the same station as he is in the quote from chapter nineteen. But I don't see any like change in tone, I guess, from the author. Seems pretty pretty on brand. I don't know. I, I was thinking maybe there'd be a little bit more aggression or animosity or something but there's not i think i think there's a little bit of animosity right because he ultimately says that he was the the first one to believe and now he's the only one to stand against and here we are now seeing kind of the first meeting between the two right like that's the the section that we're reading in chapter 19 yeah that's true i don't know i all i know is Quan. Quan's my boy our boy (laughs) Quan is uh He's the only trustworthy source in this book. Oh, Lord Ruler. All right. <laughs> we return to Kelsier sowing even more chaos throughout the Great Houses and noting that they're taking extra precautions, such as House Tekiel posting five extra tin eyes. Meanwhile, he's simultaneously blaming House Izenri, a rival of Tekiel's, for the murder of a scummy little shitlord dude who treats Scott poorly. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think of this little, like, bit? I mean, this bit in this entire chapter is just so much puppet mastery. That was super fun to read. I had a great time with this entire chapter and the way that he kind of spun webs. And I don't know. I've got I've got more specific thoughts, but I think we'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. All right. Yeah, I it's it's interesting especially kind of the way that he's he's kind of playing here kelsier remarks that the nobility often wear metal in the fashion of the lord ruler as well and this feels like another layer of you know his manipulation especially considering his knowledge of of mistborn to make the nobility wear it feels like 
no, not like well to make it fashionable and to like have nobility wear it feels like he's leaving them open to be controlled like everyone else like it's a different layer of control i don't know it's interesting it's weird yeah so i i didn't put a whole lot of thought into this comment sure I took it more as the idea of the nobility wearing metal as a form of hubris, almost. Like That's fair. Their importance allowing them to not fear the threat of alamancers or misborn in general. Mm-hmm. Like, just arrogance, almost. I didn't take it as... I, I, I really didn't put a whole lot of brain power into that one maybe i should have all right so we move from kind of that little comment as as kelsier's moving from rooftop to rooftop to him you know checking the pocket watch which is where he makes the comment about metal and he personally not carrying any on him at any point but then he goes down and he meets hoyd as this nobleman or as as you know the survivor of hatson what do you make of hoyd and the information he shares here with kelsier that of Alario's secret relationship, as well as a deal with the House Hastings and other bits of gossip and, and trivia that are interesting here. What'd you make of Hoyd? I mean, all in all, I didn't know what to think of the informant thing. Because it, you can't even trust an informant, can you? I can't, man. <laughs> I can't. It, okay, Jesus. okay, hear me out. It seemed like way too easy of a way of gaining information and spreading false rumors. And it's exactly what Kelsier is doing. And maybe that's why I feel like it's way too easy, but it just feels so obvious. And we don't really see the, the requirements or the path that somebody has to take in order to become an informant. But we know that like, they don't live long, so they're not necessarily that well-trusted. And Kelsier is able to pose as one. So there, it can't be like a super long process to, to like mm-hmm. become trusted as an informant. So it, it just feels like such an exploitable position. And obviously that's what Kelsier is doing. But the whole, like, I can't see... I can barely see my fingers in my like out in front of my face thing, man, I I hesitate to say it. Like it just feels so not, not that it's not true, but it just feels so stereotypical. Like almost, almost like you, you have to think about trusting it because it's so prevalent. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yes i i it's it's not it's super not a great way to put that it just feels almost too on the nose for that sort of character i don't know it feels like that would very quickly become the stereotype and nobody would actually believe it yeah yeah i can definitely understand i I definitely understand exactly where you're where you're coming from with this so right the tough part with kind of the conversation around hoyd is there is this like beggar's nature to the whole thing but the other the other component we we talked about beggars earlier of course from like came in and the way that he was kind of put there as well as the other beggars for information coin etc that have been kind of left on the street and are treated very poorly this feels he hoyd in particular in this scene feels somewhere in between the two where he's both 
he's he's smart enough to be able to get this information, but he's also smart enough with like the half blind thing to like play into it a little bit, which is interesting, right? Like he's he's clearly an intelligent person. Like it's not even playing into it. We know he's not actually blind at all. That was an act entirely because he doesn't no, have. I, we, yeah, correct. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah. saying that like we know okay. that it's an act entirely, and that it's it is it is him being clever more or less. Okay, and gotcha. I I assumed when you said playing into it, you meant like he was using his ailment as a crutch and like accentuating it, as opposed to just completely fabricating it. Oh no, he's completely fabricating it, but he, he tries to lean on it like a crutch until it's proven to not be to not be a thing. And then Kelsier explicitly takes that and brings it into the next scene. And I guess that's, so that's maybe that's why I felt like it was so obvious because we went from one person using it to the next that it just mm-hmm. it made it feel like it was overused. Mm-hmm. Because it feels like such such a common thing to say even though this is my like these two are my only exposure to this. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. It just maybe it did a very good job of painting the picture of who these informants are that Kelsier picking up and like using those tactics made it feel like he was playing a caricature of an informant when like that informant is the only one we've ever met. So I don't know. I don't know, man. Okay. All right. I mean, we're at an interesting point. It's going to be, it's fun. It's a fun, fun point, fun question. So we'll leave (laughs) Hoyd behind and uh, we'll move into kind of the next thing where Kelsier takes this information, gussies himself down, and then goes to meet (laughs) Lord Straff Venture as effectively the same thing that Hoyd was doing, right? Except for even treated much worse than how Kelsier treated Hoyd and Man, what a bastard Mr. Venture is. I, I love, of course, the little bit of trickery that says kind of the further confusion between the ranks. But, but you know, what would you think? I'm still trying to understand if Kelsier's tardiness was intentional as a way of, I don't know, putting the, putting the nobleman on edge mm-hmm. to begin with. Or if he, or if, What's his name? Hoyd was tardy and that made Kelsier tardy for the next one. And it was just, it happened and he had to actually talk his way out of it. I'm not sure, but yeah, noblemen are fucking dicks in general. Yeah. Noblemen, <laughs> ladyships, all of them. Fuck them. Ladyships are boats with ladies on them. I, uh, uh, boats for ladies. I don't we're moving on so Straff Straff is a dick and we kind of I'd made mention of this but we didn't talk about it. we got held up on Hoyd but we're passing information here between the two and, and Kelsier's gaining information and then sowing you know intentionally false information one thing that I think that we didn't really touch on that I think is important is Alariel's secret relationship right that she's hiding which in particular you know would be of importance to Mr. Mr. Venture here but what what do you think about that secret relationship and how it pertains to kind of Ellen's predicament as it stands? It just makes everything so fucking complicated, man. Like, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I have no way of really understanding. I feel like there's enough 
that we don't know that make it makes it really difficult to really understand what's happening. It seems like Ellen isn't actually interested in a relationship at all. So the secret relationship is probably a real one, one of okay. feeling and passion and whatever, as opposed to of status. And I feel like that's probably not uncommon for noble people in times of house significance meaning anything and and house joining meaning something, you know? So Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. All right. The final bit of information here that we get is very interesting from the the, com- the conversation here. That of manipulating bones and corpses. Thoughts? Yeah, this was intriguing. This was really interesting. And it could, and I think is intended to help explain Lord Renew. Okay. But what it doesn't do is explain his mind. We get... We get more on that in a little bit, but there's something super fucky there. Yeah, yeah. We jump back to Mansion Renew from this point, right, in which Kelsier kind of takes the the Elementic Road. He also explains the that the road there was not placed by him. It existed before. He's also never ran into anyone else while using it, which is interesting. But mm-hmm. we, we make it back to the mansion. And Kelsier quickly updates us on the rumor mill floating around the great houses, you know, how he is likely to need to push back on his own rumors and that of the 11th metal with more of the great houses chatting about themselves and fighting and kind of trying to fix that part of the problem. He also, again, because we're inside of his perspective, notes something odd about Renu when reflecting on play acting. He notes that he is a Chandra. Right. So one thing I was curious about in this is that Chandra isn't capitalized so this is not a proper noun or a proper title or anything like that it could be Mm -hmm. a i don't know a type of being like human wouldn't be capitalized so Mm -hmm. chandra is maybe a classification or something sure or a race of some sort i don't know i don't know man like it I have nothing to go on. I, this is 100% speculation. I have no idea. Is okay, there, is, is there, is there, are there English roots to the word Chandra or, or non-English for that? I don't think so. That is a question I am. I was not prepared for. I wanted um, to Google this. I really yeah, wanted to Google don't this, but Google I shouldn't. It. The moment, the moment you yeah. search it, it will ruin it for you. So do yeah, not. So um, I didn't. Like, I, I figured that was the case, but I really wanted to understand if that was, like, based in any sort of Latin term or English term or some sort of old world language term that could be extrapolated. Yeah. And, like, you don't have to answer. If it, if it would, if it's better for me to just not know and let that be revealed later, that's fine. But that was like where my thought process went, and I knew better than to Google. Like, what, what's the term? What's the term? Etymology. Enough, I, I I I didn't want to look up the etymology of. Very hard to get to this point, right? But as a Chandra, as a girl's name, is a wealth derivation, and the meaning of the name Chandra is greatest champion. It is an alternate form of Kendra. Kendra Chandra greatest champion okay 
Interesting. Sure. Potentially. Potentially interesting. But I have no idea. Yeah. I yeah. We can we can move on. You don't have to dwell on that. Yep. And that's something that's not been (laughs) revealed and I'm just speculating wildly at. No, I I was just reading more about it and I was like, how do I even parse that information? (laughs) So (laughs) I was like, I don't know if I should say any of that. Okay. So I'm not like I promise you I will not be looking this up because I think I care more than you do about me not being spoiled for anything. And this or is I such care an maybe easy story equally. to spoil yourself in. So exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like we share an email address, and I like have to be very, very careful about opening up any emails. So yes, right. Um, like I am, I am well aware. But does it seem like that term shares any sort of real world etymology? I'm going to go ahead and say that the Welsh etymology is probably the most reasonable. Okay. Fair enough. So. Cool. Yeah. That seems to be seems to be the best. So we end this week on a note of conversation about Ellen and the meaning of him reading the books that he is, as well as Kelsier's thoughts on, on Vin and his relationship. And as well, well, not relationship, but like interaction, I guess it's not. Kelsier's mm-hmm. reading is she is a fucking crush on this kid. Oh, that's really bad. And. Kelsier also lays out his potential plan to kill Ellen to throw the house into further turmoil. Yeah, there's just so much going on, man. Like, this is a fucking knot of of story threads. And God, am I excited to see where it goes. It's a fun little bit that we're kind of trapped in right now. We, we are at exactly the halfway point, pretty much almost to the page. In oh, the really? Paperback, yeah. Almost to the page, which is interesting. We're a little bit further just because of some of the skip pages and whatnot, but if you removed some of those, we would basically be at the halfway point. So okay. we would be like at exactly half. We're a little, we're like two or three pages over half right now because of mm-hmm. this. So anyway, the final thing that we actually end this week with, though, of course, is the next reading of next week's little journal entry here. It isn't a shadow, this dark thing that follows me. The thing that only I can see. It isn't really a shadow. It's blackish and translucent, but it doesn't have a shadow-like solid outline. It's insubstantial, wispy, and harmless. Like it's made out of a dark fog. Or mist, perhaps. Interesting. Thoughts? It's hard to tell if this is pre or post defeating the deepness. Or if this Mm. is the deepness. Mm. Or if this is the mist. I don't I don't know enough about any of those things to make a proper guess. Mm-hmm. Frankly. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're in a tough spot. But any right. any other thoughts? Do we know if the mist is thicker near the Lord Ruler than it is elsewhere? Like on the countryside? I don't, I don't think that we've gotten any description like that. Okay. Cause it, if it was like that, like if we knew that sort of respect, mm-hmm. we could guess that the mists are seeking out like whatever the mist is is attracted to the lord ruler and therefore it's going to be most concentrated near him but we don't know that so who fucking knows and it's probably the (laughs) deepness and the mists are some sort of spiritual remnant of the deepness okay all right well With that, 
I'm going to just real quickly run through your predictions on a rudimentary level. That way everyone can kind of keep track of them at home. So the predictions that we made this episode were the Lord Ruler having this massive soothing effect on the populace. And you effectively said that you believe that it's Critic Shaw. Ellen splits from the table after a brief conversation with Ben, picking up his books, heads out. What do you think his true intentions are? You believe that he is kind of interestingly split on his intentions between positive and negative for Vin being, you know, he knows who Vin is, is kind of the one of the big ones. Right. That is the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he is also trying to seek the crown of his house to become the heir sooner rather than later. The next one is Vin and Kelsier also share a conversation around snapping and the implications therein. Kelsier explains that he snapped when Mare died. What do you think happened to Vin? When do you think Vin snapped? You said when Reen left, if I'm correct, if I remember correctly. Assuming that, yes, that that is my guess. Yeah, um, with with the assumption. The assumption I'm agreeing is, with the assumption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He never and used I before. I am also in like. That is my guess, period. And the caveat that I had put forward was if we learned that, or if we went back and saw that Vin talked about using luck when Reen was still around, I would drink for that. So Sure. Makes sense. And then yeah. the final one um, is that of manipulating bones and corpses. And you basically said that could help explain lord renew but something is definitely up which isn't so much a prediction as a no i guess so i think i guess my prediction with that i'm gonna get a little bit more specific my my prediction between that and lord renew is lord renew uses or they used this not technology but this property to create lord renew but there was something else added for the mind aspect of it, if that makes sense. Okay. Not just manipulating the physicality, but also manipulating the mind. Or not manipulating, replicating. Okay. So. Right. Cool. And that is it for the predictions going into uh, the future here. The question of the week, of course, that we are still tackling for the last week is that of prologues. So, PJ, I want you to lead off with kind of your answer to this last week's question. What is your favorite prologue? So, recently, we did a podcast with our good friend Adam about our favorite video games. And one of my favorite games is StarCraft II, which you very well know. One of the the first things we really bonded over. Like, one of the first Mm -hmm. things we got into together. StarCraft II's prologue. And by prologue, I mean, like, its opening cinematic of Tychus getting put into his his mech suit, essentially. And there's the voiceover, essentially, like, this narration uh, speaking to him about him being freed from his prison sentence, but this suit will be his new cell, but yet welcomed to freedom to a certain extent. Ending with his catchphrase, I guess, of hell, it's about time. I, I, the, the visuals are great. It's just him being mechanically strapped into this suit and, the the voice acting is awesome 
and it really sets up his character super super well uh, admittedly i still haven't played starcraft one or or the brood war expansion at all and i should and i want to but i haven't so i don't know that story but Tychus is a super cool character so that's mine that's my favorite that makes sense to me it tracks with kind of my thoughts on it too i'm definitely going to include a link here uh, to that little prologue because it's like two minutes it's fairly quick yeah easy, something like to that. watch it's the intro to wings of liberty very very straightforward and it still looks really good it does game that came out over a it decade looks ago. so good pretty side wild. note this cinematic the quote is hell it's about time but i have always thought about it it or thought of it as hell it's about damn time And we were Mm -hmm. talking about this before this episode, and that's because the his character, the Marauder, is it any Marauder or is it just within? No, no, no. no. The the Marauder says it's about to get heavy, but the within the unit Tychus within the campaign says it's about damn time, and the Heroes of the Storm unit also has a voice line that said it's about damn time. Yeah, so. It, it just sounds so much more natural to say it's about damn time. Like the the first couple times I Mandela rewatched, effect. it is. It really. It just feels unnatural mm-hmm. when watching the cinematic because it feels like it was almost edited to to be less sweary. Even though hell is in there, like uh, I don't know. It just it felt like it was censored in a certain way. Mm-hmm. But, like, it was what it was. It was hell, it's about time versus hell, it's about damn time. And hell, it's about damn time seems so much more natural. Anyway, sorry. Tangent. Uh, let's continue. That was mine. Cool. All right. Neat. With that, we move into Sephandrius the Howler, which I I nod at your joke, sir. Oh, shit. My favorite prologue of all time is The Empty Man. It's 20 minutes long. As far as books go, big fan of both Eye of the World and Way of Kings because they're just so insane and confusing without context. The Way of Kings is the Stormlight Archive, which is the beginning of the super epic fantasy series that Brandon Sanderson has written outside of Mistborn. It's the other really big one in which a single book would take us like three or four months to tackle just for your context but way of kings eye of the world is the beginning of the wheel of time and the empty man is a cerebral horror movie that is on my short list of things that i'm probably going to watch this weekend so i've been like putting it off for a while now and i want to both because of andreas's recommendation and constant tweeting and talking about it on twitter as well as scott wobblers so definitely definitely on the short list Right. And then Ivana, our patron from Discord, I, I feel like I need to say this. This is a correction uh, from last week. You, you liked you liked the Iron Gold. You said Iron Gold was great. I believe that you were going with Iron Gold. You, you added it back here and said that, correction, it's Gladriel talking about the rings and the Fellowship of the Ring film. And you know what? Great choice. So, like, I can't. I'm not going yeah, yeah, to fault you for that. That change here. Frankly, that so. was going to be mine. <laughs> frankly, I was going to say that. But you know it's a it's a good one so it is for next week what we are going to be tackling for our question of the week is going to be your favorite close call that you've seen a character or protagonist come into and and survive the other out the other side of what's your favorite close call does that make sense yeah like basically favorite favorite example of plot armor yeah but like <laughs> my, like it's got to be 
It can't just be plot armor because, like, plot armor can be like the ridiculousness of like no, I know. a cool I know. guy walking away from an explosion. You know, like <laughs> I know, no, exactly. But close call, close, close to being caught, close to dying, close to whatever, just uh, narrowly escaping whatever negative effect. Absolutely. With that. Next week, we are going to be reading chapters 20 through 24. Can you believe that four chapters is as long as this, like, five or six chapter stint we read today? This like, is, like, this is what, over 80 pages? It's another over 80-page week. And then we slow down. After that, we go to, like, 70, 70, 58, 38. But, wow. yeah, this, okay. is, this, is a, this is another big chunk that we're going to be tackling here over the next week. So, you yeah. know, what? I'm, I'm here for it. I'm excited chapters 20 through 24 so that's where we'll leave you for this week thank you of course and as always to tim and andrew for helping us keep this show going check out all of our links in the show notes you can find our schedule our patreon our previous episodes our websites our socials everything all in one very convenient location yeah, and we'd also like to take a second today to thank our new patrons, mixologist Marcus Thompson and bartenders Sophandrius the Howler and Genevieve Witt. Thanks a million for supporting the show, friends. We really appreciate it. And we are happy to have you in our little community. It's wonderful. Yeah. And we'd love to have any of you that are listening that aren't a part of our Patreon. Come join us. We're, we're a good time. There's another page now because of the way there is another page. You, 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 you hit enter a couple times and there's another page. I had to, right. If you want to check us out on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit at words, whiskey pod. And then if you would like to email us anything, anything and everything, We'll probably read it. Crossland will, because I'm very skittish about our email nowadays. At least I'll spoilers. Words and whiskey show at gmail.com. And then the aforementioned aforementioned Patreon. Patreon.com slash words and whiskey. We've got some really awesome stuff coming up this month as well. In case you weren't aware, on our Instagram, we actually have a giveaway going on right now for a unsigned leather-bound copy of Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn, the first novel here. This one this one is unsigned as they are currently unavailable as signed editions, but that is that is what it is. But it's available over on our Instagram. Fairly easy to enter. Just make sure you follow the rules on the post itself. It's uh you you have like two more weeks, I think, from now ish. Something I mean, like that. It's not signed. I don't even fucking want it anymore, Crossland. Like why why are we doing this shit? <laughs> Well, <laughs> yeah, so no, it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous book. So I'm jealous yeah. of whoever gets it instead of myself. It's, it's sick. That's all I'm saying. Uh, so, yeah, make sure to follow us on Instagram. We, we do giveaways like that roughly every two months ish, two, three months, something like that. So uh, definitely, definitely check us out. Follow us on all the aforementioned socials. Also, you can get all kinds of updates from us on those places. Beyond that, we've also got a pretty cool, we've got a couple of pretty cool new things coming out, including some really new fun bonus content that will be related to words and whiskey. So pay attention for that. We'll be talking about that over the next couple of weeks. Yes. Cool. Cool. Any, anything else? Sign off. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for your support. It's wonderful, wonderful to have you. So. Thanks and see you next week. Bye.